0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I think everybody knows me. I realize there's one new person here, but I'm Chris Clifford, in case I've missed any other new people here. And I'm coordinating this program this year, um, along with a group of... Several people, Bruni and Jim and Judy, a group of us are doing this. So we're a little bit behind, and so I'm going to try to offer a few remarks just to orient us to the areas of taking what is not given and what we do with our sexual energy. And I would like to point out, these are huge topics, and uh, last year's uh, Dharma Practice Day series was on ethics And if you look in Audio Dharma under Dharma Practice Day, there's some wonderful recordings of a whole day of Gil having all kinds of wonderful things to say about sexuality and about taking what's not given. And so, you know, I'm barely going to scratch the surface. And I encourage you to take time this month to explore those other topics. So to start with taking what is not given, which is how this uh, teaching is phrased in Buddhism, which is very interesting You know, that's kind of a high standard, not taking what is not offered. And it really gets at just being, as so many of you so beautifully explained uh, in your group sharing, that energy of just, you know, we can be in a kind of grabbing, taking state of mind. And it's not strictly stealing. I'm probably, you know, we're probably not so involved in literally stealing something that clearly belongs to somebody else. But what's that energy of just taking taking having the whole idea of having and owning it gets into very deep considerations of identity and security and uh you know what makes us feel safe does it really make us feel safe to have a lot of stuff you know or is it make us feel or is it a greater feeling of safety to be in a situation where You can trust, you know, that things are being offered, enough is being offered. The whole contemplation of what is enough, what is contentment, what is a feeling of being satisfied with what we have. You know, so it's a real invitation to look at that edge for you around taking and having. Um, The monastic level of practice is quite an inspiration to me. I've been on a lot of retreats where I'm serving monastics and being with monastics, and they are so meticulous around this. You know, nothing is touched. It's like they're in a a clarity of a kind of energetic bubble where nothing is touched that's not offered. You know, they won't read a magazine on your table if it's not offered to them. You know, and... It's such a sense of lending them, you know, I remember it was extremely cold and we were gathering up all kinds of warm weather clothing and socks and things to lend to this one uh, Sayadal. And at the end of the retreat, it was all complete. He had his person wash them and they were all folded and washed and stacked up and he came back and very ceremoniously re-offered them to us. And it's just so beautiful, you know, to see that care with the idea of who's, you know, that this is shared property, that it's not mine, it's it's something that I can care for. So um so there's that that safety level and this, this standard of really what is offered, you know, that we can look at. And also a way to expand our understanding is around of course it's not just things, right? It's time, it's attention, it's people doing favors for us. So You know, when you're just in a group right now, sharing the time, carefully allowing everyone time to speak, leaving space so that shyer people can speak up. You know, just how much space do we occupy and how much uh, kind of... There's this phrase, taking for granted. That sounds like it's a reference to this kind of thought, you know. Taking it for granted means as if it were offered. But really, is it? Or are we just taking it for granted? you know, so so how can we look at that carefully? There's also the aspect of hanging on to things that are clearly owed, you know, we can, maybe we've all had an experience of rationalizing our taxes, for example, you know, a little bit here and there, or, you know, letting, it seems like it's the culture these days that you kind of expect to be reminded three or four times that your bills are due before you pay them, you know, and, and So, you know, how how can we look at being very prompt in returning what's borrowed, right? Carefully taking care of things and returning them. All these issues around the wanting energy and the having and owning energy, things we can look at. So, uh, as you were all talking about this morning, bringing mindfulness to this, There are lots of, uh, you know, less wholesome motivations that come into play that we can use as mindfulness bells. There's simply, there's wanting itself. There's always the energy of wanting. There's the mindless, what's called in the Buddhism, guarding the sense doors. Everything starts with some sense impression. You see something pretty or tasty, you know. Have you noticed that you've seen something that strikes you as pleasant? If you can notice that, you can have a whole different relationship to it than diving right into, oh, and it's so beautiful, and who would I be if I had this? Wouldn't I be cool? And, you know, that's that whole energy of just plunging into the qualities of things and then letting yourself become the kind of person who has this kind of thing. And then there's the covetousness and the wanting. And, uh, you know, the mindlessness around wanting. And then there are these deeper issues of security, and you know, and really deeply needing to have and hold and have more money and have more things. I have a, had a tendency in the past, if I find some piece of clothing that fits, I buy six of them. You know, it's a kind of hoarding thing. And, and I'm realizing that, I'm realizing my closet is very monotonous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, but when we look at this, there's also bringing the self-compassion into it, you know. You don't get very far with these issues by just lecturing yourself over and over again. So I really had to feel in, well, I have also issues with fluctuating weight and social insecurity, and, you know, it's been rare enough for me to find something that fits that when I find something, you know. So some understanding that there are conditions behind this, and this is why I do it, you know. And then recognizing that, well, and it continues to fluctuate and styles change and my size changes and so I don't wear the other five pairs. And so once I've noticed that often enough, then maybe there's more trust and more ease around not needing to hoard things in that way. There's a, I read a wonderful book a few years ago about a Japanese... I can't remember the term, but there's a particular Japanese psychology term for people who assume that everybody just loves doing favors for them. and i i can relate to this as i i used to go home my mother died last year but i went home for christmas every year and does she really enjoy doing my laundry (laughs) making things for you you know you you can sort of assume or that your partner really loves doing all those errands that you saved up for them on the weekend you know so there's i mean there's a sense of ease and belonging where you can kind of slide over into assuming that people just kind of you know, love doing things for you. <laughs> and maybe you can turn that around to where you love doing things for them. You know, it's, it's just something to look at. Uh, there can be cultural and familial things in your upbringing. There are certain cultures where you really... there's a lot of emphasis on not being a fool and not being taken... and not being taken advantage of, you know, and that leads to a kind of energy of feeling like you're supposed to push the edges all the time of what you can take and what you can get away with. So you can just look at if that's a factor, you know, in anything in your background. Um, Let's see. So I loved uh, that um, Judy brought up my favorite teaching from the Rahula Sutra. And just looking at this, we can notice, you know, before... We do something, what are some signs, you know, that we're taking something? Well, that involvement in the sensual goodness, that imagining what we'd be like if we had that. You might find you're hesitating. If you are hesitating, really look at why are you hesitating. Or you might find yourself going into rationalization. You know, oh, I really don't need to declare that. You know, they they didn't mean that, you know, as income or, you know, this bill, you know. They're charging too much. I'll wait till the very last minute. Rationalization. As you're, as you're in the act, you can notice, you can sometimes in retrospect, but you can notice that you had to close off your consciousness in some way in order to do that. You know, there can be a, You just have to ignore that part of you. And then you're contributing to that inner division of things about yourself that you can bear to look at and things that you don't want to look at, which is exactly how this sets up being unable to settle deeply in meditation because you're afraid you might remember things you've done, right? You're afraid. Most of what we're afraid of is our own mind is going to come back and haunt us with things that we don't want to see, you know? So we can start not adding to that pile and start tolerating and understanding and forgiving ourselves for what we do see coming up. There's this hardening of the body. There's often speeding Sometimes I catch myself this word furtive, furtiveness, you know. Are you doing something furtively? (laughs) Taking one more of those? (laughs) You know what, what is that about? I, I spent a very restless night on a retreat recently. I'm ashamed to admit this, but here it is. I I take my own food because I have a special diet even though I'm a cook on these retreats often and so since I am a cook I feel very familiar with the kitchen almost like it's my kitchen you know and one time I wasn't a cook but I wanted a little bit of sour cream on this thing that I had brought and um, I just felt I somehow I don't know all these things I just I wanted it I shut down I I furtively went into the kitchen took a little sour cream on my thing knowing full well that there was plenty of sour cream that was the rationalization and then oh what a sleepless night you know oh how could I have done this oh I'm the worst person in the world for taking this so I went in in the morning and apologized I don't know if some of you were there but I apologized to the whole array of the cooks and they were like what you're welcome you know but that wasn't the point you know the point was I could have asked you know there could have been ways to do it not furtively if I really needed it or I could have you know done without heaven knows but anyway so all these little things that we all do all the time are little areas that are just ways to look at our own edges around this and then, of course, as I said afterwards, we not only feel guilt and shame and, and fear, but it also kind of reinforces cynicism. It reinforces a notion that, well, this is the way the world is. You know, I'm this way, maybe other, other people are this way. So it re- it kind of eats away at that sense of safety and a trust in the possibility that people can, can take care in these areas. So... In saying that we are probably not engaged in overt stealing and so forth, I realize that this is an assumption of, in effect, privilege, you know, that a lot of us are from that segment of society that has enough, fundamentally has enough, and perhaps we take for granted a lot of ability to have enough, so we can really, as some of you brought up from your group discussion, we can begin to expand our sensitivity and our understanding. What does it mean to take what's not given in a world where literally everything is for sale, right? You can buy anything and you can rationalize that it's offered, but is it is what's behind it, you know, reasonable? So things that are for sale have hidden costs in terms of human exploitation and environmental damage, and I know that we're all working on being increasingly sensitive to that. What does it mean not to take more than your share? You know, of resources, water. You know, water around here and uh, resources in general in the earth. And we can look beyond our simple actions of taking and we can look at the other side. If we're asking people and expecting people not to take what's not offered, what is our responsibility to offer? Right? And so there's a so making things available, working, and maybe literally in terms of donations, and maybe more abstractly in terms of working for justice in economic and political ways so that enough is fairly offered, so that it's realistic to expect that people will be able to follow these precepts without self-harm in some way. You know, it's not fair to ask people to harm themselves in order to follow this precept when we're not doing everything we can to be generous. So the positive, you know, each of these has a positive correlate. So the positive correlate of compassion to not harming, the positive correlates of contentment, uh, contentment and simplicity and generosity and then a trust and letting go are involved in this precept. whoops, okay, a quick two minutes on sex, ready <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's see <laughs> so uh. This is a third category of bodily energy that good heavens, what an amount of harm can be caused with mindless, you know, mindless following of this is such a strong energy. It's so easily triggered. Our culture is just drowning in a wash in stimulation and the belief that somehow it's appropriate to be constantly engaged in this sphere of activity. So looking at this in a way that doesn't go to the other extreme and demonize the body or women or a particular gender association or, you know, to allow room for joyful, intimate, consensual sexuality. I mean, that's where we all came from, you know. It's not something that we want to make a problem of. It's something that we really want to deepen our discernment of what's wholesome and what's not wholesome and there 's also the the aspect of um, not just sex itself, the act of sex or things that are overtly sexual, but all the little subtle ways that that energy of looking for you know partners and looking to act out this energy seeps into our lives, how we dress, the whole obsession that 's so painful for so many people of what we look like, you know our physical appearance our standards of beauty, all this has to do with when sexual energy is just coming into the picture somehow. And so how much can we open up to being aware? And then there's this huge area of, you know, the interrelationship between sex and power. You know, if you want something, someone has some, you know, power situations can be very, very delicate. What's it like to be freely sharing in a group that is not of your selected gender of attraction and what is it like to be freely sharing and participating in a group that is, you know, the different, just subtle, different feelings that we can be aware of around all this. So, you know, you're really invited this month to look at your relationship to this whole phenomenon. There are so many different life situations, different ages, different minds and bodies, different circumstances and every one of them has some way that you know there are opportunities and challenges in dealing with this so if you're you know you're single and you feel that you're likely to remain so the challenge might be just practicing contentment you know what is it like just to let that aspect of life go and be happy without it when we're in the world where we're continually bombarded with invitations to do that if you're in a relationship You know, how to have this be a healthy, mutually agreeable part of it. And again, you're still bombarded with temptations to do something that's harmful. You know, do something that's emotionally or harmful outside the relationship. So, you know, in a way, uh, it's a deepening discernment. And we've learned so much, you know. Uh, we're becoming so much more aware of what the psychological depth of harm that's been done and can be done, and the way that different people, it's possible to, you know, say yes and mean no, and boundary issues that people have around this, and how delicate it is to really understand what is going on with someone else at this level of intimacy is a really deep practice. So... Um, Again, the, the tools of the Dharma that we have to bring to work with this, especially the factors of the Eightfold Path, right? So we have this view, the view that so contradicts our society's view, that it's important to look at freedom from addiction, freedom from drivenness and compulsion. And in a way, this energy can be, whether you're engaging in healthy relationship sex or not, this energy can be a little laboratory for deeply understanding what's meant by some of the Dharma teachings on craving and suffering and, you know, learning to look at the relationship between the mind and the body and what it means to be mindful. You know, what, what is right effort around an image comes to mind and right away you get that feedback in the body that this is somehow stimulating sexual energy. What are you going to do with it, you know? How do you hold saying, no, this is not appropriate? How do you hold where you want to go with it if you decide that it is appropriate? And how can we keep sensing, deepening our sensitivity around this? So, um, so mindfulness, there's mindfulness of the sexual energy itself. And then there's the mindfulness and concentration and the meditative practice and the deepening, relaxing of the body and cooling of that anger and irritation and some of those things, you know, those feed into unwholesome sexual activity. If there's anger and hostility that you haven't examined, that's going to come out in the way that you do whatever you do. And sexual expressions that come from a lot of unrecognized frustration and anger is something that maybe is indirectly worked on by just taking this practice seriously and taking time to deepen the possibility of meditative calming satisfaction and happiness so we're discovering that through practice that there are sources of happiness that don't have the same quality of i mean sex is a little bit a paradigm for being on the wheel you know you 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 want it, and then you get it, and then you're happy for a little bit, and then you want it again, and then you get it. It's cyclic almost by its nature. It's a perfect example of that gratification not being a lasting source of happiness, which is not to say there's neither is food, you know, but we still eat. So it's not to say that there's something wrong with having it, but to put too much on it, to expect it to be the answer for your life. No matter what situation you're in, there's going to be a time when you find yourself without a suitable way to express sexual, you know, satisfaction. And so having something else in your life that you understand is a deep source of relaxation and contentment can be very important in countering the urgency of some of this. And then people may not know themselves very well and they might be looking for some kind of esteem for others or some kind of sense that they have to violate what really feels like they need more space and boundaries that they have to close off that part of their consciousness and cross those boundaries so you might not have found a skillful way to work through you know old wounds and traumas that really you need space and time to work with and this practice gives you a way to work with those things so that it doesn't when it comes into the sexual arena the relationship arena it doesn't there's not no way to work with it and process it and understand it. Um, I have a really, I guess, a really deep faith in this practice that if we really can look honestly at what we're feeling and our deeper motivations and our deeper sensitivities, that we can, and eventually it comes. I see the direction that it's heading toward a point where there's no inherent conflict between our own deepest happiness and peace and satisfaction and what's ethical and non-harming for other people you know so if we feel if we have that faith that we can take the time to look more deeply that it's safe and trustable to look deeply in our own hearts and that this will this will come to our own benefit and others ultimately in all these areas so, that's a, I'm glad we have a whole month to work with these things. That's, uh, and then the rest of your life, of course. But anyway, <laughs> we'll start with ten minutes, then a month, then the rest of your life. <laughs> so, um, what we thought we'd do is give a chance to spend a little more extended time reflecting on these matters in pairs for this Time And um, I wanted to I, I was a little ambivalent because I want you to really think about what is your relationship to this whole subject? What are your edges a little bit? maybe something about your history, your family influences that have that you feel are at work you know but also i don 't want anyone to feel like they need to share it 's not you don 't have to confess anything you don 't have to share anything that you 're not comfortable sharing so just a chance to say to reflect for yourself when we get in these pairs you're not exactly the main point is not so much to tell a story to the other person as it is to have a witness to your own journey of internal reflection on what's important to you in these issues so um... it's what we wanted you can focus on the issue of taking what's not given Or if something about the sexual issue is up for you in a way that you think it would be useful to reflect on that out loud, you're welcome to get into it, but there's no pressure to get into anything you're not interested in. And taking a cue from Gil's Daylong on this, I might suggest that we meet with people of the same gender. And I realize that's a very complex subject and that that doesn't suit all needs, but just, you know... We have to make a decision somehow. So I think there's an even enough number of men here that we could meet with someone of the same gender, just in case that gives any more ease in talking about uh, any of these issues. So we'll take about uh, five minutes apiece to just reflect on what you want to work. You might think in terms of what you want to work with this month or what you would like to bring bring up into consciousness and express and give word to that might be helpful to you in reflecting about your relationship to these areas or only the taking, the having, owning, whatever is juicy for you that you want to talk about but that doesn't feel like to, uh, you know, we're not, you can keep it to yourself also. Okay, so let's get into pairs. And we will give you five minutes each to talk and then a little time to discuss what came up. and in the discussing what came up afterwards we're always trying to avoid problem solving and advice giving you know we're just you might want to say what you said reminded me of something I'd like to share but it's not about fixing each other's problems Okay, we can start to come back together. So we're not going to go around to every pair and ask for a report, but we would love to hear... Anything that came up that you thought was really, you know, interesting, really good to think about this coming month? Anything, you know, anything came up for you that you would like to share? Yes. Uh, can Can you...
1: So, um, my partner has very good point here um, when we're talking about taking things not being offered, and uh, sometimes in the social norm in this society it 's um obvious like they offer things, for example, the restaurant they have the mint they offered after you eat, you know, it's going to be, people going to think, you're weird, you have to ask me? <laughs> I mean, it's there. So we're thinking that for some of the social norms, then we probably just going to comply with that. And so that we don't feel like, you know, out of the scope. And of course that if something um, we can monitor, it, it do not isolate us out as a normal society. People, then we definitely would like to follow that rule, which is wonderful practice. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. That's right. Ravi?
2: Thank you. I think the way I look at it, I think most of us are householders not in in monasteries, so we have to look at things as if they're not uh, absolute. Uh, there 's a degree of practicality behind these questions of not mine or not taking when not offered, so I think if the the intention or the desire is to exert and go beyond what is reasonable, then I think you will fall off the edge in the requirement. But being householders, I think we have to have that practical practical aspect to our life and see what really works what 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 is how far do I push the envelope before it becomes uh, I'm going to use the word ridiculous, yeah. but maybe not right. So right. I think that's kind of the concept I'm struggling with.
0: Right. And knowing a little, I imagine you meant pushing the envelope toward meticulousness, not pushing the envelope exactly. toward how much can no, I have. You're right. Exactly. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which might be the opposite sense of pushing the envelope yeah. that some people might have. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: Um, I think along that point, one of the things we were discussing was, you know, um, because I I tend to want to be more of a minimalist, you know, um, I can have a lot of trouble around things. Um, and so I can feel very driven for things and, and sense myself getting all caught up in there, and that may make me want to... Um, you know, take things that aren't given, or I really like the point that you said, you know, where it's like, it's for sale, it's, it's offered, you know, and so that's a really tricky area, um, but around this practicality is, um, we were talking about, what do I think that this object, this thing I'm trying to get is actually going to give me, and yeah. and you can, we're touching on that, right, like, if I'm looking at this sweater, I think it's going to make the perfect outfit, right, or whatever it is, you know, it's like, um, this book is going to give me the knowledge that I need so that there 's no more suffering right um, you know <laughs> that 's what i 'm really thinking you know like uh, this nightstand will make the perfect room you know it 's just that if I can get that out of my mind and say like you know it 's okay to i'm i 'm not a monastic, so i don 't need to necessarily deprive myself but if I can look at this thing and say that that 's nice you know I, I that would be nice to have. And I, if I have the means to get it without taking, right, then that's okay. But if I think it's going to solve all of my problems, then I'm right. in for right. more problems. <laughs> right,
0: right, exactly. And it's an area where these two last two uh, areas come together because we're often, you know, wanting to look good. Why are we wanting to look good, you know? Well, there's that, you know, attractiveness energy coming into it. So, yeah. Anybody else? Or we could open it up to questions, you know. Any questions about this whole area or what we're embarking on for this month and, and on?
2: The, excuse me, I have a question. Yes. So the question really is that what is the karmic consequence of of taking something not given? Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, a shampoo, go to a hotel, shampoos and soaps are there. They're given to you. You take that, what's the karmic consequence of that, as opposed to stealing a bathrobe or towel from the hotel? That's true.
0: That's so. true. Well, you know, the commentaries, the commentary the suttas don't go into a lot of details about this, I don't believe, but the commentaries, <laughs> the Buddhist commentaries are quite, quite kind of realistic i mean they they try to you know it's a realistic practice so they're talking about the karmic consequences of small things are smaller than the karmic consequences of big things and so that's true in terms of if you're inclined toward guilt and worry about how is this going to come back to you you know we can we can you know don't inflict suffering on yourself by you know becoming completely miserable about things that truly are minor but on the other hand you can look at where your mind inclines do you incline toward going taking as much as you can get away with or do you incline toward do i really need this like you know thinking of some of the other considerations so really you're looking at what habits are you cultivating and what energies are you feeding in your own heart and if you ask it that way you know it's more that's the karma. the source of karma is what habits are you feeding you know, and what what effect are you having on others? That's another way that karma works. you know so really, what is the effect and what is the effect on your own habit stream? so that's you know it is it's a constant, a constant judgment and discernment. that's why it's a lifetime practice. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes, please.
4: Something just occurred to me when I was looking at this. When you had the non-killing, the non-harming, the uh, taking what is not given, and sexual energy... We, in our discussion earlier, talked about that when we uh, had taking when not giving, or harming others, you normally are aware of your body having some sort of sense, tension and all this, which seems to come from a mind Mm -hmm. more. When you talk about sexual energy, you're tapping into a totally different area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of curious, I mean... That's why it's such a harder issue to talk it is. about. It is. Because right. all sorts of things happen, hormonal whatever, uh-huh. that you really get confused at trying to make your
0: It's yes. a lot harder
4: to be mindful, I guess. It is when a your lot harder to be now, mindful.
0: And some of the point of it seems to be to go mindless for a while. Right. So, you know, that's definitely that's <laughs> definitely tricky, you know. So it can seem like it starts physically, maybe more, but that may be because we haven't really experienced much hunger and thirst, and you know, in this culture, those might be things that start physically, you know, that lead to taking things. But just to stick with your point here, that's true, you know. And so, but it's the mind, the the mental qualities of awareness, are still what we can cultivate: awareness of the body. You know an awareness of what we're doing with the sensory input, so you know you see a picture, some sexy picture somewhere, do you dwell on it? You know that dwelling on it is it's it's a physical impulse it's it's really this is what I was saying it's such a way to get into the deepest levels of this practice, the level of what's called dependent origination. Have you heard that teaching? It's the moment-by-moment cycle of we have a sensory input and we avert our attention to it depending on our overall state of conditioning and habits, whether our attention averts to it or not, and then what is our response to it. If we're aware that that is now where our attention is, we have a little bit of choice about and are, are we aware that it's pleasant? Are we aware that it's unpleasant? If we're aware that it's pleasant, there's that much more space before we plunge into grabbing onto the qualities of it and, ooh, yes, I like it when they're blonde or brunette or whatever, and, you know, I like it when, you know. Do you plunge right in there, or do you, are you aware that you're now in a state of responding to a sense stimulus of some sort? So, you know, this may seem like asking a lot, and of course it is in daily life, but, you know, in deep meditation practice and on retreat and times like that, you can really, you know, see frame by frame how the mind and the body respond to stimulation in the world. I don't know if that answers, you know, it's true, it's physical, but then what do we do with it in the mind?
4: (laughs) Well, thank you for expanding on I wanted to get a little bit of the sexual energy part into this discussion. Yeah, you're right. That. No, you're I right.
0: I mean, it's and it's one. It's very strong and very fast and very difficult to look at because it's so fraught with a whole lot of other stuff for most people. So, it's uh, yeah, Judy.
5: Yeah, just a, a P.S. on the end of it because I think you said that so well. Um, it. I think it comes back a lot. We talked about intention a lot and, and perhaps also our intentions for what our longer-range goals are. What are the things that are really important to us and what, that we think really matter that mm-hmm. are wholesome? So the ability to choose in light of that, regardless of what's happening, um, I think it's worth considering. And I know we'll talk more about that when we get to right effort, but um, it's, that's a good right. practice.
0: And there's also I mean there's also the the other whole side of it which is the the wholesome practice of you know healthy intimacy and what's the role of mindfulness in that you know there's a point where maybe you know someone well enough it's consensual enough that you you know you know what you're doing but you can always keep checking in you know you can always keep deepening your sensitivity it can be it can be part of the deepening of the experience it can be part of the safety of the experience so You know, it's quite an exploration and a chance for practicing really challenging parts of right speech to communicate with people about what's really going on. Sensitive ways of picking up cues from other people about what's really going on. You know, so that, you know, are we sure if we want to kind of turn off mindfulness and go for something, are we sure that it's really mutual and appropriate? Yes, please. Uh, Let's get the mic, just because there are people in this program all over the world, actually. Okay,
1: thanks. Um, So I was wondering, um, in terms of um, non-harming, what if you're in a... Like, when I come here, I feel like I'm in a safe place and I feel good. But there are, you know, um, circumstances where I don't feel safe or I'm threatened, Um, whether it's physical or emotional. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm wondering if someone, I mean, the reaction is like, you know, anger or maybe protect yourself or whatnot. But, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that in terms of um, being mindful when you feel threatened? Mm -hmm. Kind of Mm -hmm. seems tricky Mm -hmm. and how to handle that.
0: Well, it's very challenging when we feel threatened that's that's a one of those moments like almost like sex we were just talking about where mindfulness tends to go out of the door, but yet it's also really rich, valuable practice if you can hold it. You know, we often have a tendency to, I don't know if you feel this, but to equate mindfulness with judgment a little bit. You know, like if I was really mindful, I would have got down on myself for having that reaction. That's not what we mean. But just being aware that this is happening, you know, so if anger comes up when you're emotionally triggered somehow, being aware that you're angry doesn't mean you need to try to stop being angry, it doesn't mean it's an inappropriate or not understandable response. So if you can be angry and compassionate with yourself for being angry at the same time, you know, is that possible, for example? And then maybe that compassion for yourself is the key thing that gives you a little bit of space to think, is it really in the long-term interest of the situation to lash out and hurt back? You know? Or is there some other way to, you know be angry in a way that doesn't continue to dump fire on fire in the situation. So I'm not sure if that speaks to it. I mean and of course, you know, if we're attacked, we we can defend ourselves. You can look at the, you know, defending yourself is one thing and a defense that slides over into offense is another thing. You know, we can see these not that this is your case at all, but we can see these police cases that are so much in the news, you know, I'm sure they're extremely tense and feel threatened and they're way overreacting and that's that's how those things happen. So is that Yeah. Any any more questions any more you want to say about that?
1: Um, um, no, I think I'm good for now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah.
0: Okay. I, I just want to
5: tack on to that Please. just it's it's important to be safe. So if you're in a situation where you feel like I need to get out of here, then, then you need to leave or stop something, you need to stop it. But I think it always comes back to can we communicate something in a way that's clear and compassionate or kind in the, in the process of communicating or perhaps remove ourselves from a situation if that's appropriate but another thing that I, I meant to mention earlier that I didn't that I, I find really helpful in guiding or navigating my way through situations sometimes is to return to the intrinsic set of values that we have. What, what is it that really is guiding what we're doing to remember that rather than to be so concerned about what someone else might be thinking? Just what do we know feels um, from the inside like it's, it's what is most important to us in a given situation? and is non-harming.
0: I wanted to add a comment also that except for when we're talking about emotionally charged situations not necessarily physical but that mindfulness when it's not mixed up with self-judgment can be a source of safety you know it's like we when we remember to inhabit our bodies and be there for ourselves and be aware of what's happening and know what's happening. And in a way it's I I I have this phrase that I've used a lot over the last few years of having a sort of loyalty to not suffering, to not making myself suffer. So if I'm in a situation where I'm being um where I'm really feeling, you know, out of my depth, it's socially unusual to just withdraw into silence in this culture, right? But you have the right to do that, you know. And, and if you have the ability to be mindful and to come into yourself, if you need to really take some time and space and check out how you're feeling for yourself, you can, you can cultivate that feeling of seeing broadly what's going on in your mind and body and knowing that even though it might seem socially unusual, it's the best thing to do in this situation rather than automatically lash out. You know? Someone might not be used to being confronted with silence if they're yelling at you but if that's the choice versus being yelled back at you know there it is and you can take that moment to make a little zone of safety around yourself where you're really present and in inhabiting your own space and your own intentionality get back in touch with your own values and you know so that's it's a kind of a silent defensive move that's mm-hmm. very powerful yes We have to stop pretty soon, but one more. Go ahead. When um, I read um, Gunaratana, is that how you pronounce his name? Gunaratana. Gunaratana. (laughs) He uh, talked about the fifth... um, uh, precept, not using intoxicants, right. and um, uh, and he expanded that to mean over not overwhelming the, the senses, and I was wondering if you're going to talk about that here at all today. You know, um, certainly not today, and because we're out of time today, oh. and it's not actually, you know, there are so many lists that slice and dice a different way. That mm-hmm. is not one of the official factors in right action. It's left to a condition that you can discover as was mentioned in one of the groups that certainly leads to heedlessness Mm -hmm. you know and that's what's wrong with it it's not intrinsically a problem it's because it leads to heedlessness and all kinds of things you know sugar and caffeine lead to heedlessness and internet surfing leads to heedlessness and so it's an area where we can all explore what you know, overstimulating ourselves in well, various ways. Well, he mentioned ways. watching too much television. Yeah, watching too much television. Yeah. You know, just scanning for bad news all day. What is this doing for us? You know, <laughs> and so you can really look at it as a substance abuse. I think that's a great point. You know, mm-hmm. so so this is part of our investigation of what factors lead to harmfulness and lead to non-harming. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I meant to work that in at some point. Let's just sit for a minute, just to let the energy settle, even though we're a little late. And... uh... Hmm... So may we and everyone here feel safe from inner and outer harm. May we be happy and peaceful may we take care of ourselves wisely may we be at ease in the conditions of our lives and with the intention to extend this field of well-being to Everyone we encounter, everyone we're dependent on, the people who grow our food, make our clothes, share our air and water, all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be truly happy and peaceful. May all beings be able to take care of themselves wisely. May all beings be at ease with the conditions of their lives. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and with each other and for coming out this morning. Have a good month of practice. We'll see you in a month.